For the information of our visitors this morning, we have been going through a series of sermons from the first chapters of Genesis. We're up to our 16th sermon, and the title of the series is In the Beginning, the first words of the Bible. This morning, this afternoon, we consider Genesis chapter 5, 21 through 24, and Enoch's walk with God. So let's read Genesis 5 together. Most of it is a genealogy, but there are important and significant truths nestled in the genealogy that we will be considering. Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years and begat Cainan. And Enos lived after he begat Cainan eight hundred and fifteen years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were nine hundred and five years, and he died. And Cainan lived... Seventy years, and begat Mahalalel, and Cainan lived after he begat Mahalalel eight hundred and forty years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Cainan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. And Mahalalel lived sixty and five years, and begat Jared, and Mahalalel lived after he begat Jared eight hundred and thirty years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were eight hundred and ninety and five years, and he died. And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years, and begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived an hundred eighty and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived an hundred eighty and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years, 
and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred, seventy, and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We read the scriptures that far. The text we will consider is verses 21 through 24. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, after Moses presents the genealogy of Cain in chapter 4, down to the wicked Lamech and his three sons, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, as we saw last time, Scripture now returns to Adam and Eve. So it has traced the line of Cain, and now it goes back to the beginning, back to Adam and Eve, And here in chapter 5, the scripture presents to us the genealogy of Seth and traces that genealogy past the days of the wicked Lamech all the way down to Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So going back to Adam and Eve, although we cannot be entirely certain, it does seem probable that Adam and Eve bore many sons and daughters after Cain and Abel. As you recall, Cain and Abel were their first two children. But then we are told that they begat Seth when Adam and Eve were 130 years old. And it seems very likely that they had many other children before that time, between Cain and Abel and Seth. And we do read that in chapter 5 in the text, in verse 4, that Adam begat sons and daughters, many sons and daughters. But it was not God's purpose to continue the line that was going to flow down to Christ in any of those sons or daughters. Abel was murdered by Cain. It was not God's purpose to continue through the line of Cain or through any of the other children that might have been born to Adam and Eve in those first 130 years. That's why they're not mentioned. That's why the scripture jumps forward to the 130th year of Adam and Eve. And we are told in chapter 5, verse 3, that Adam begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Seth is the focus here. And the name Seth means appointed. That indicates God appointed him, just as his mother said when he was born, God hath appointed me, chapter 4, verse 25, another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So God appointed Seth. He would be the line that was going to flow all the way down to Christ. And we know that Christ is the appointed one, the appointed Savior. Jesus came from the line of Seth. Notice that Genesis 5 verse 1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. If you look at Matthew 1 verse 1, it will say, this is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. 
Very similar language. And there we find the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to Jesus. But if you turn to Luke chapter 3, you will see a second genealogy. That genealogy begins with Jesus and traces back to Adam through Seth. So we see in the scriptures that God appointed Seth as the line that would lead to Jesus. Now, when Seth was 105 years old, chapter 5 or 6, he begat a son whom he called Enos. So now we are in the year 235 of the history of the world. And Seth begets a son named Enos. Now, in chapter 4, verse 26, we have this interesting note. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. In the days of Enos, the year 235, after creation, in the lifetime of Enos, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. The meaning cannot be that no one called on the name of the Lord before Enos in the first 235 years. Adam and Eve called upon the name of the Lord. Abel called on the name of the Lord. Seth did. And surely many others did as well. But when the scripture tells us that it was not until the time of Enos, 235 and after, that men began to call on the name of the Lord, it is implying and emphasizing that the children of Adam and Eve were by and large ungodly and wicked people who didn't call upon the name of the Lord. The earth was being populated and growing and multiplying with ungodly men. But at the same time, God was calling out his elect people from the generations of Adam and Eve. But it wasn't until the time of Enos that finally God had called together enough of his people that they could form a congregation in the midst of the world and begin to call upon the name of the Lord publicly and corporately on the Sabbath days. Enos, we are told, begat a son as well and named him Canaan. He begat a son named Mahalalel. He begat a son named Jared. And Jared begat a son named Enoch. Enoch was born in the year 622. He was the seventh from Adam, just like Lamech that we considered last Sunday. There were two Lamechs, the good Lamech and the evil Lamech. Last time we looked at the wicked Lamech. He was also the seventh from Adam, just like Enoch. So as I said last Sunday, the scripture is giving us here a sharp contrast between two different men who lived around the same time at the midpoint of that era of history before the flood. Enoch was very different from Lamech. We are told that Enoch walked with God. Enoch grew up in that congregation of believers that had begun to call upon the name of the Lord in the time of Enos. He was born and raised in that community of believers who walked with God. And now Enoch is presented to us here in the text as an outstanding example of those men and women of the Lord who walked with God at the midpoint of that era before the flood. So let's consider the life of Enoch. Enoch's walk with God. First of all, his lifelong walk with God. Secondly, his warning to the ungodly. Finally, his deliverance from death. 
The outstanding characteristic that we read of Enoch is that he walked with God. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God. Verse 24 again, and Enoch walked with God. Now notice something that is contrasted in the genealogy. With every other person that we have read about in this genealogy, we are told that the person lived, he begat a son, and he died. He begat a son, he lived a certain number of years after he begat the son, and then he died. But notice how it is different with Enoch. We are told Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, he begat Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. It doesn't mention his death. Everybody else begat sons, lived, and died. Enoch begat a son, and he walked with God. He didn't just live, he walked with God. And he didn't die, but he was not, for God took him. That's what we read about him. We find an example of that more general pattern in the son of Enoch, who was Methuselah. As the children perhaps know, Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived, as recorded in the scriptures. He lived 969 years. But we are also told about Methuselah. He begat a son, he lived a certain number of years, and he died. And if you look at the genealogy, you will see that Methuselah died in the same year that God sent the flood on the earth. But Methuselah did not die in the flood. He died before the flood. He lived a very, very long time. But Methuselah, the son of Enoch, also died. Enoch, however, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When the text says that Enoch walked with God, the meaning is not that he was the only one who walked with God at that time. Or he was the first one to walk with God. Certainly, just as many were calling upon the name of the Lord, they were walking with God as well. Enoch grew up in the community of those who were walking with God. But Enoch is presented in the text as an outstanding, remarkable, and probably famous and renowned example of a man who walked with God. He was known for this in his generation. People knew the name of Enoch, and they said about him, that's a man who walks with God. Enoch learned to walk with God when he was a little child from his parents, bringing him to church on the Sabbath day to worship God with his people. And when Enoch grew up and got married, he continued to walk with God. He didn't walk away. He continued to walk with God. And we are told that after he begat Methuselah, he continued to walk with God for 300 more years until he came to the very end of his earthly life and sojourn. And then he was not, for God took him. What does this mean that Enoch walked with God? To state it very simply, it means this. Enoch lived his whole life in conscious, joyful fellowship with God by faith. Now, Enoch was a sinner just like all other men. Enoch did not lift himself up above the mass of sinners. 
Enoch was himself a sinner. He was born, conceived, totally depraved, totally inclined to all wickedness. He was not inclined by nature to walk with God. He was inclined by nature to walk away from God. He was inclined to walk with the devil. That's what appealed to his flesh, just like all the rest of us. He was inclined to walk and to live his life for himself, for his own pleasures, for his own joys and treasures. But God was gracious to him. God was merciful to Enoch. And God delivered him. God reached out to him. God embraced him and brought him to himself into his fellowship. That's why Enoch walked with God, because God first walked with him. God first chose him. God first loved him. God first reached out to him and took a hold of him and converted and redeemed him, regenerated him. God established his covenant with Enoch. This is the language of God's covenant to say that he walked with God and God walked with him. That's the language of that relationship and fellowship. God took Enoch into his covenant, into that relationship of intimacy and fellowship, and God walked with him and God talked to him. God made himself known to Enoch. Remember, these were the days long before Moses and long before any scriptures were written, and yet God talked to him. Enoch heard the voice of God. Perhaps he heard God in dreams or visions or voices in his head. God spoke to him directly. He made himself known to Enoch. Probably also Enoch learned about God from that congregation of the saints in which he grew up. God talked to him. God walked with him. God made himself known to Enoch. And God gave to Enoch the gift of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we read, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch believed in God. Enoch believed that God exists. He believed that the God who exists is the very God of his fathers. The God that he was taught about growing up in the church. The God who he was taught created the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land, the fish and the birds and the beasts, and all creatures by the power of his word. Enoch was taught about this great God, this great Lord, who planted a garden in Eden and placed his great-great-great-grandfather Adam and great-great-great-grandmother Eve in that garden, and he dwelled with them and lived with them. Beautiful harmony and fellowship until man fell into sin. He learned about this God's promise to his ancestors to send a Messiah to save them from their sins, And Enoch lived and walked by faith in the promise of the coming Savior. He lived and walked by faith and hope that God will keep his promise. God will send the Messiah to save us, to destroy our enemy, and to establish an everlasting covenant with us. Enoch walked by faith. And in that faith, he walked with God. That means that 
Since God first walked with him, Enoch responded and walked with God. There's a relationship there. God is walking with him and talking with him, and Enoch is walking and talking with God as well. Enoch lived his life for hundreds of years, conscious of God in his daily life, thinking of God, walking as if in the presence of God, seeking to do God's will, seeking to obey God's commandments as he understood them. You might say that his whole life was saturated with God. He loved the Lord his God. He sought and experienced intimacy in his relationship with God. He had a daily, pious, religious walk with the Lord. And he worshipped him together with his brothers and sisters in the faith on the Sabbath days when they gathered for public worship. He walked with God, we are told, seeking him, worshipping him, for 300 years after he begat his son, and then he was not. Enoch persevered in his walk with God. He didn't waver to the left or to the right. He didn't walk away from God. He didn't forsake or abandon God. But the grace of God worked so powerfully in his life that he persevered, he endured from day to day, from week to week, from year to year, even from century to century. He persevered in his walk with God. Through the ups and the downs, the hardships and the prosperity, the persecution and the peace, he continued faithfully down life's path and walked with the Lord. So will this be said about you as well when you die? When you pass away from this life, will it be possible for your loved ones to write on your gravestone as the defining statement of your life, he or she walked with God for this many years? What a wonderful and beautiful thing that would be, wouldn't it? For our children and grandchildren after us, when they lay our bodies to rest in the ground to be able to engrave on our gravestones, mom or dad, grandpa or grandma walked with God. That's how I would describe their life. We live in a day and age in which there are thousands and millions of people, I would say, yes, even millions, who used to walk with God in some outward sense of the word, but who are walking away from God in droves, in droves, walking away from God, wanting nothing to do with him, not believing in him, not wanting to obey him, not wanting to follow him, not wanting to have a relationship with him, denying him. They've even coined a new term, deconversion. Deconversion is just a trendy term to refer to what the Bible calls as falling away, going out from among us who are not of us, apostasy, making shipwreck of the faith, and many other terms. What will be said about you 
when you pass away and they lay your body in the grave? Will it be possible to write there, he walked with God? That was the characteristic of his life. Will you walk with God until the end? I listened to a message recently by a popular pastor, and he asked his audience a question similar to that. And he made the statement that I make too. What a wonderful thing it would be. And this pastor was in his 70s, or 80s perhaps. What a wonderful thing it is, he said, looking back on his life, to be able to say, for 70 or 80 or 90 years, I've walked with God. I exhort you this afternoon to walk with God. Do not stop. Do not walk away from him. Do not leave him. Walk with him as Enoch. Jesus Christ walked with God perfectly and faithfully throughout the whole of his life. Christ never wavered to the right or to the left, but he stayed the course. He walked with his God. He talked with his God in faithful love and relationship, even unto death Even to the death of the cross, he walked with his God. Even until they nailed his hands and feet on the cross, where he shed his precious blood and laid down his life for us, he walked with God to the very end. He walked with God to the cross so that he could deliver us from this present evil world and so that we might be able to walk with God until the end of our lives too and even to forever. Let it be the great longing of your heart, children, young people, young and old, to continue walking with God by faith in Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Through each phase, in the hard times and in the good times, when it rains and when it shines, when there's pain and when there's joy, when there's adversity and when there's prosperity, when there's peace and freedom and when there's persecution and loss, walk with God. Walk with him until you come to the very end and you lay your head down on the pillow, surrounded by your loved ones, singing praises to God around your hospital bed, and you know that the end is near. Walk with God till the very end. In his message, that pastor that I referred to earlier made reference to the early church father, Polycarp, who died around the year A.D. 155. Polycarp was martyred for the sake of his faith in Jesus Christ. And reportedly, this is what he said as they were murdering him. For 86 years... I have been Christ's servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Walk with God, beloved. Do not walk away from him. What a wonderful, blessed thing to live 70, 80, or 90 years in this world And at the end, to be able to say, I walked with God by God's grace. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Part of Enoch's walk with God was that 
he prophesied against the ungodliness of his day. Remember, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. He lived in the middle, the very midpoint of that period from Adam and Eve until Noah. He was right in the middle. And as we saw last Sunday, that was the same time when wicked Lamech lived. Lamech and his three sons, Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, those were days of developing technology, developing culture. Mankind was advancing. But they were also days of developing sin, developing darkness. There was a decline into immorality and decadence everywhere. Murder, revenge, bigamy, boasting over murder. As the world population grew and grew and wickedness and darkness abounded more and more, Enoch lived his life, just like us. And he walked with God. There were people all around Enoch who wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with him, but to defy him and rebel against him. But Enoch walked with God in that world. And part of his walk was that he stood up in the midst of that world and prophesied against the ungodliness of that world as a witness. He was a prophet, one of the first prophets. He was filled with the Spirit of God, like the great prophets of old. And being filled with the Spirit, he bubbled over with conviction and boldness and spoke out against the evils of his time. And the proof of that is in the book of Jude, the book just before Revelation, verses 14 through 16, where Jude writes, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. That's what Enoch did. That's what he prophesied at the risk of his life. He prophesied the word of the Lord. Particularly, the emphasis was a warning to that generation, that ungodly generation, that God is coming in judgment with ten thousands of his saints. That's what Enoch preached. Enoch knew that God was going to come into this world. God was not going to allow this wickedness to continue. God would come. God is just. God would bring judgment. And he preached that. He warned people of that. And no doubt he called them to repentance. Today, too, God calls and raises up and sends ministers of the word of God to prophesy and warn the world of coming judgment. Ministers, and to a certain degree also all Christians, are called to give a witness to the world around us And part of that witness is this warning. God is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming with ten thousands of his saints. He's coming with thousands of his angels. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. We confess that every Sunday. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. That's part of our witness to the ungodly world. And that was part of Enoch's witness in his day. Now, I find this interesting. I call your attention to this too. Enoch did not know when God would come in that judgment. Remember, he lived in the midpoint of that era. The era was more than 1,600 years total. He was in the middle. And right there in the midpoint, he didn't know he was in the midpoint, but right there, he was prophesying to this wicked and ungodly world. God is coming. God is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon everyone. Repent of your sins. Turn, turn. Enoch must have thought God is going to come tomorrow. He's going to come maybe next week or for sure this year. It can't be much longer. God will not allow this wickedness to continue. But it was about 700 years yet before God came in the flood. 700 more years. I find that interesting because we live in very evil days too. We see the very same things happening around us. We see ungodly men and women defying God, rebelling against God, wanting nothing to do with God, all kinds of wickedness and rebellion. And we feel the same way. We feel as if Jesus is coming maybe this year. For sure in a few years. And we can't imagine that he wouldn't come within the decade or within our lifetimes for sure. But we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour or the week or the month or the year or even the century when he will return. Many have tried to predict the day of the coming of Jesus, and they've all failed. Our fathers and grandfathers before us thought for sure that Christ will come during World War II when the world was in such chaos. He didn't. Almost another century has passed. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are called to stand up in the midst of the present time, in the midst of the present darkness and ungodliness, and to give a witness to the world. Jesus said to his disciples as part of his last message, Acts 1, 6-8, the disciples asked him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Oh, they wanted to know the day and the hour and the time when the kingdom would come. Is this the time, Lord? Is this the time? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. That's the Father's business. That's his power. That's his right. He knows. He will decide. And he's not seen fit to tell you when the end will come. But, Jesus said, ye shall receive power. That is in the power of the Father. But you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus said, don't worry about the time, the season, the day and the hour. But you go and you be a witness to the world. 
You start right where you are in Jerusalem, and you go into all of Judea, and you go into Samaria next to Judea, and then you go to the ends of the earth. Keep going, keep going, and be a witness to me in the midst of the world. The apostles were given the same message that Enoch preached to an ungodly world. Christ is coming with ten thousands of his saints to judge. That's what Paul preached in Acts 17 in Athens. When he spoke of the judgment and the resurrection, they turned away from him. And some mocked, but a few believed. That's our message today as well. But we not only have to bring that negative warning that Enoch brought, we must also bring the positive message of the gospel the good news of salvation and the promise that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, will not perish in the judgment, but will be saved. But when we bring that witness to the world, we must expect persecution, and we must not be afraid of that. Enoch was persecuted. We don't read of the details of that, but we know enough from the various bits of revelation given to us about Enoch in the Old and New Testament that this man was persecuted. All we have to think about is the day and age in which he lived, the great ungodliness. And here is this man prophesying and warning of judgment to the ungodly. Whenever you preach judgment to the ungodly, they will hate you. They don't want to hear that. They will oppose you. They will pursue you. They will try to stop you. They wanted to stop Enoch. And perhaps a greater proof is in Hebrews 11, where we read, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. For before this translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And he was not. He was not found, we are told. He was not found. When the Bible says he wasn't found, it's obvious that somebody was looking for him. And those who were looking for him wanted to kill him. When we place Enoch in the history, the grand history of the prophets throughout the scripture, just think of Elijah. Elijah was also carried up to heaven that he should not see death in a chariot of fire. But think about Elijah's life as he walked with God faithfully. It wasn't all easy. He had to stand up against Ahab and Jezebel and confront them and rebuke them for their idols and their wickedness. And Jezebel sent her servants to chase Elijah to try to catch him and kill him. And Elijah was once very despondent and very depressed. He was persecuted by the ungodly. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 we read, that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are you afraid of persecution? Am I? Are we afraid? Are we afraid for our children? Our grandchildren? When we think about the days we live in, the days they might live in, the last days, the great tribulation. When we see 
ungodly powers rising up around us, gaining control of government and institutions and universities and media, are we frightened? There's no reason to be afraid. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God was with him to the very end. God never abandoned him. God never forsook him. God will be with us. God will shelter us under the shadow of his wing. He will keep us in perfect peace who trust in him. If we're worried about our children or our grandchildren after us, the persecution they might endure, it's a horrible thought, isn't it, as parents? Terrible fear. Remember this. If our children suffer the persecution of the last days for the sake of Jesus Christ, if they suffer more severe persecution than us, then remember this. They will have a higher and greater reward in heaven than us. A greater reward than us. Blessed are you when men persecute you for righteousness' sake, Jesus said. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. They will be given the grace that they need to endure to the end. Saints throughout all of history have suffered persecution. How glorious to see saints willing to go to the scaffold, willing to be burned, willing to be killed, because they will not budge from their stand of faith in Jesus Christ. I will not budge. That's where I stand, like Polycarp. This Jesus, I've served him for 86 years, and he's never done me wrong. He loved me, and he gave himself for me. He shed his blood for me on the accursed cross. How will I forsake him now? There's nothing you can do to me to make me forsake my Lord. That will be our children. Or maybe our grandchildren. Or maybe our descendants hundreds of years from now. We don't have to worry about them. As God is with us, he will be with them. And then there is the glorious, blessed reward that God gave to Enoch. We are told that Enoch walked with God for 365 years. That's already a long lifespan. In his day and age, that was a short lifespan. But he lived 365 years. And then suddenly, he was gone. Vanished. His persecutors were looking for him. But he was not found. Where did he go? I imagine that theories began to circulate about the mysterious disappearance of Enoch. Maybe 
He has departed outside of the pale of human civilization. Maybe he has gone out into the unknown hinterlands of the earth and he's living like a wild man. Maybe, maybe he was devoured by a beast. You know, dinosaurs were still roaming the earth in those days. Maybe he was eaten by a massive beast. Maybe he was abducted and caught. Maybe he was killed. What happened to Enoch? Nobody knew. He vanished. They were all wrong. But God revealed to Moses what happened to Enoch. He was not, for God took him. And God inspired the apostle to write in Hebrews 11, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God translated him. For before this translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That word translate in Hebrews 11 means to transfer or to take away. Enoch was taken away. He was transferred somewhere else. Where was he transferred to? He wasn't transferred to some other place in the visible universe. He was transferred to heaven itself. He did not see death. And the fact that he did not see death means that his body and soul were not separated from each other. That's what happens at death. He did not see death. He did not experience death. So he was translated into heaven in his body and his soul. And there he saw Abel. Only in his soul. Just like Elijah many years later in that brilliant chariot of fire, God performed a special miracle in the life of Enoch, translating him, body and soul, out of this earth into glory. He gave to Enoch a blessed, blessed reward. But even there, when Enoch appeared in heaven in his body and soul, he didn't yet receive the fullness of the resurrection body that he would receive at the resurrection on the last day. Enoch is still waiting for the fullness of his salvation. Enoch was translated into heaven by faith, we are told. By faith. That doesn't mean because of his faith. It doesn't mean that Enoch made himself worthy of this glorious reward because of his faith or because of his works or because he walked with God. It wasn't like that. It was by faith. By faith. He received from God a free and gracious reward. From all eternity, God had determined that this Enoch would become a wonderful type and picture, a pledge for his people throughout all the ages of this great truth. We too will be translated so that we do not see death. The reason Enoch was translated without death was that his Lord Jesus Christ died for him on the cross and conquered death and rose from the dead on the third day. That's why, and that's why we will not see death. The Lord Jesus said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall not die. When we come to the end of our life, we won't die. 
Death will touch us. Death will taste us. But death cannot swallow us. When we come to the end of our life as Christians, we will pass instantly through death into heaven. But especially the translation of Enoch points us to our great hope as Christians, the promise of the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And on that great day, there will be still people on the earth who have endured, who have walked with God by faith through the great tribulation, who have defied the man of sin and come to the end of the world. And those people like Enoch will be translated into heaven directly without seeing death. Then all of God's people will rise with our resurrection bodies. We will be made like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ and dwell with God for all eternity in the new paradise. That's the encouragement of the life of Enoch to us. An encouragement to walk with God, to continue in our walk with God against all the temptations and assaults of the world. To walk by faith, not to be afraid, and to have hope of that glorious inheritance. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks for the gospel as we find it in the riches of the Old Testament. The life of Enoch, thy servant. We pray that thou would grant unto us the same grace of perseverance, that we might walk with thee with joy, with hope, with gladness, by faith, looking unto that hastening coming day of the Lord. We pray, come.